0: I just want to bring you up to speed. So uh, we're doing a series called Proverbs uh, and the subtitle is That's Just the Way It Is. Um, Does anybody know where that line comes from? Bruce Hornsby Hornsby and the Range. Thank you, Graham Marsh. That's just the way it is. Okay, so Proverbs, I mean, I know that um, Brian uh, started us off really well on that, but basically what we're saying is this is how life normally works. This is about the, this isn't about the exceptions about that, you know, the person who's lazy and wins a million pounds, or the person who's got a big mouth and everybody loves them. This is about what normally happens in normal life. This is kind of like the wisdom of God uh, dressed uh, up in kind of everyday life. Uh, and so Brian served us really well, and he talked about. Five faces of a biblical fool. Basically, Proverbs talks about the wise person. And the wise person doesn't mean they've got a degree or they're clever uh, and they get good marks at school. The wise person is the person who trusts God, follows God's way. The fear of the Lord, it elsewhere, is the beginning of wisdom. So that's the wise person. And the fool is the one who doesn't live God's way. The, the, who, who, they may be very intelligent, they may be very seem very sorted, but they're, they're a biblical fool. And Brian gave us five categories, and I'm going to speak about one of those, but let me just remind you, there's the slacker, who won't make the effort, Uh, often that's called the sluggard, and I'm going to use the term sluggard, the schemer, that person's going to do whatever it wants, do whatever it takes to get what they want, you know, that kind of ladder climbing, kind of rat race, everybody kick everybody out of the way kind of guy, the scoffer, the person who's always moaning, always complaining, always taking the rip, I, I think Ben... Frank's uh, served us really well last week talking about how we speak. The stupid who acts without thinking. And the simple, the gullible, who's easily led astray. So those kind of four, five characters keep popping up through Proverbs and you see them. And so we're going to look at one of those today. So here he is. (laughs) So I don't know if you recognize yourself in that picture at all. Uh, You know, this is kind of uh, this is Homo Duvius, the, the man who, who, who likes his bed. Uh, this is the man who likes his TV, his snacks. He, he's got his remote control. You know, he's kind of hinged to his sofa. He, he's, a, he's, you know, he's the slacker, the slob, the can't person who can't make the effort. And you think, well... He's probably quite easy to recognize, isn't he? You know, he's he's likely or she's likely to be slightly overweight. They're probably not here this morning because they couldn't be bothered to get up. You know, there's there's always a reason why they need a little more resting, a little more kicking back, a little more doing me time. And you think, oh, well, that's easy. We can spot that. I'm definitely not like the person on the left. You know, I might be like the person on the right through the day, but you know, I'm not taking a nap at four o'clock. You know, I'm pretty hard working and whatever. And so you think, well, actually, there's probably no sluggards in this church, so we may as well just go home. But actually, the reality is that if you're looking for a good example of a sluggard, uh, there's one place to really look. And I tried to do a picture of myself here, but if you want to find the sluggard, the first place to look is look in the mirror. And you might say, I protest, it's not me, I'm not like that, I'm hard working, I'm diligent, I've got plans, I, I love making an effort, you know, I'm incredibly busy. Man, if you knew how busy I was. But actually, the truth is, when Solomon's talking about a sluggard, although he makes fun of the lazy slacker slob, sluggard, he's actually really saying, guys, it's a lot, lot closer to home than that. You are probably more like that person than anybody else. And so the sluggard is not necessarily the person who sits all at at home uh, watching box sets, eating uh, food uh, and wasting their time. Actually, the sluggard can be uh, quite a hard-working person in that sense. They can can seem quite busy. It says, uh, the sluggard wants success... As much as you do, they want their life to go right, just as you. Much as you do, they the sluggard wants. You know, I'd love to. I'd love to be married. I'd love to be this. I'd love to have this. I'd love to have this. I'd love the sluggard wants that just as much as everybody else. It's not like the sluggards are just laying in bed and they've got no sense of what their life would like. The problem is they're just sitting there. So it says it says in Proverbs thirteen four. It says the desire. Of the sluggard is strong. It's not talking about sexual desire or lust. It's talking about this desire for achieving something, desire to do something. The desire, the desire for achievement of the sluggard is strong, but they get nothing. So they all want and no delivery. They're all hope and no action. Uh, But the diligent will be satisfied. So there's a contrast between that both the diligent and the sluggard want things in their life. They both want life to go well. But there's the one who's who's, who's just, wouldn't it be great? And the one who who thinks, I'm going to get to it. The desire of the sluggard is the death of him. For his hands refuse to work. So the sluggard is this person who wants these things. Oh, I'd love this to happen. Oh, wouldn't it be amazing if we had this doing? Oh, I was doing this. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Oh, wouldn't that be great? I'd love to do that. But actually what happens is that just becomes this massive pressure that never happens. It becomes this massive if only in your life that never happens because you think, I'd love that to be the case, but actually don't do anything about it. The sluggard and is not far different from from most of us. The reality is most of us have dreams and ambitions and things we think, I'd love to be that or feel God's called me to do that or I'd love to be that or I'd want to work through that and we don't because we refuse to do it. Bill Hybels, let me get, show you two books just to show that actually there's no such thing as an original thought. Bill Hybels leads a church in uh, uh, Chicago called Willow Creek. His book called Making Life Work. Uh, and uh, this is... Um, this is Phil Moore, who's a, a great writer, part of this network of churches that we're part of, uh, and he is, runs a series called Straight to the Heart, and he is incredibly insightful. Uh, so that, so I'm nicking from those two, and hopefully a bit of Bibles in there as well, so just so you know. But Bill Hybels, in his book, Making Life Work, says this. See if you're here. Somehow, someday, I'll feel like doing something with my life. Somehow, someday, I'll... Wake, I'll start waking up early and stop wasting time on TV or social media. I'll, I'll start getting my work done on time. I'll stumble into the job of my dreams. Somehow, someday, the perfect partner will drift into my life. The credit card company will lose all my records. Somehow, someday, I'll take initiative. My marriage will transform itself. I'll discipline my children. I'll make some friends. My, my fat will melt away. I'll wake up one morning uh, slim and spelt. I'll stop craving those little destructive habits. Somehow, someday, I'll get on top of that sin. Somehow, someday, I'll start caring about the lost and the lowest and the least. Somehow, someday, I'll live the Christian life as if it were true. Somehow, someday, it'll happen. I think Bill understands that we all have those somehow, some days. I'm going to be fit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort out my marriage. I'm going to discipline my children. I'm going to get on, on top of my debts. I'm going to do those things. I'm going to be the person that I know that when I became a Christian, if you are a Christian, I'm going to be that person. When you, when you gave your life to Jesus, you didn't say, well, I'll just give you a little tiny bit over there. You thought, no, all of it for you. You gave all of it for me. I give it all for you. But what happens is somehow, someday, you think, well, I'll live like that commitment was really true. The sluggard is full of ambition. The sluggard is full of somehow, someday. Uh, here's quite comical. It says the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. But he's too lazy to bring it to his mouth. Basically, with a sluggard is someone who says, Wouldn't it be great to exercise hospitality? Yeah, I'd love to do some cooking. I'd love to invite somebody round to my house who, who hasn't got great loads of ch- friends, loads of people to connect with. I'd love to build community. I'd love to be a community builder. Great. I think food is a great way. And if I'm down to the shops, I'm, I'm getting, looking through the menus, I'm doing all that. And basically, by the time they've cooked the food, they're like, "Ugh, I can't even bother to eat it. They just don't follow through. And, you know, it seems ridiculous. He buries his hand in the dish, but he's too lazy to bring it to his mouth. Here's, the, here's another picture of the same thing. Of this somebody who thinks, wouldn't it be a great idea, but never gets through. Says uh, uh, Proverbs 24, uh, 30 says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who had no sense. Now, interesting, the sluggard has got a vineyard. He's not in bed, sitting watching TV. He's got a vineyard... He thinks, wouldn't it be great to have a vineyard? Wouldn't it be great to have a vineyard that's well-planted, that produces crops, that makes excellent wine? Yeah, I'd love to have a vineyard like that. And so he gets a vineyard, he buys a vineyard, or he's inherited a vineyard, but he's got a vineyard, but he's done nothing with his vineyard. I walk past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns have come up everywhere. The ground is covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. Interesting, Israel is often described as a vineyard. The nation's described as a vineyard. But actually, your life is a vineyard. What is your vineyard? What is your life like? Is it full of, I'd love it to be fruitful with all these things, or really, is it full of thorns and thistles and all broken down? And everybody who goes past says, what are they like? Why are you like that? The laws of the universe tell us that actually you've got to do something. Excuse me if I get these wrong, but I think it's Newton's first law says everything uh, that, that continues in the same direction until it's operated on by another force. It's the, called the law of inertia. See, I've got to operate on it to make it do it. The law of inertia. So, you know, everything, if you set something moving in outer space, it just carries on in the same direction until another force operates on it. Your life is like that. It will just carry on doing the same old things. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always be what you've always been. You've got to operate on it. Another force has got to come to work. Second law of thermodynamics, everything tends to disorder and chaos. If you leave your bedroom, students... Men, maybe. <laughs> and you just leave it. It doesn't tidy itself up. You know, the person that thinks that the universe came just randomly out of chaos into order is probably the same guy who just left his pants and shirt all over the floor and it miraculously made its way into the wash basket and then emerged once it ordered in its drawer. You, we believe in a universe that came out of that, that chaos created order, but that everything in the universe tells us that's not true, that if you don't do something, it turns out a mess. And the sluggard knows that, but cannot get to it, Can't be bothered. The sluggard says, I am too busy, I'll do it later. Uh, if you're a parent and your kids have said to you, in a minute. Put your hand up. (laughs) Some of you liars. If you've ever said to somebody, in a minute, I'll do do it in a minute. I mean, my mum and I fought desperately because I would say, in a minute, and she knew full well the minute was not the timescale I had in mind. 60 seconds would have been really incredibly fast. I remember one time watching the Wimbledon tennis final as many years ago between McEnroe and Borg and I said, I watched the first game and she said, you need to finish your washing up. And I said, in a minute... Now it went on that game, and it match went on, and we're in the fourth set tiebreaker, the best ever tiebreaker in Wimbledon history, and it's going on. And my mum is saying, "Come and do your job," and I said, "In a minute." And, she, and she, in the end, she said, "Enough." She went to the she went to the power switch of the house, and she flipped the switch, and everything went off. And she said, "Now you can come." <laughs> and it's not her fault that I'm a slacker. It's my fault because I should have gone then. Bill Heibel's in his book. His dad's a Dutch businessman. Or His dad was a Dutch businessman. And said, uh, when his mum said, Bill, would you do it? And he'd say, in a minute, his dad used to say, Bill, do it now. And he said, I'm thankful to my father that I didn't become I'll do it later kind of guy. I remember a story, if you've, done the, uh, if you've gone to Vision Values Day, I sometimes tell this, I remember a story, I was driving my car uh, down the M4, uh, I think, we, yeah, no moves with us, we were driving from Bracknell down to Bath, where we were living at the time, and the engine warning light of the car went on. And at that point, you're thinking, well, we're probably 20 miles from Bath, I'm on the motorway, I'm not sure I've got um, breakdown cover, it's going to be a real faff to stop. So what do you do? You ignore it, don't you, and drive on? Who's ever done that? I know you have. I know you have. You think, well, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> I'll sort it out later. By the time we would pulled off the motorway and drove down the hill into Bath, uh, the engine was sounding like it was just a, bo- a box of spare parts. It was this, this grinding toolbox of an engine. And as I pulled, we pulled it into this garage, and by the and it sort of shuddered to a halt. And the garage guy looked at it. He said. It's your head gasket or something. I can't remember what it was. He said, didn't you see a warning light? I said, yeah. He said, well, I just want to tell you, if you'd acted when the warning light was there, it'd have probably cost you about 80 quid. But as it is, your car's a write-off. But we do that in life, don't we? We do that in life. We we wait until smoke is pouring out of the back of our spiritual lives and out of the back of our communities and the back back of our churches before we say, we better do something about it. We better sort out that relationship. We better sort out that attitude. We better sort out that money. We better change it from saying, I'm going to do something to doing it. Even as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, fix that broken relationship today, that crippling secret sin that you've been saying, I'm going to fix, from when you were a 14-year-old boy or girl and it's still there, (laughs) sort it. Time with God. I'm going to have those really meaningful times with God. And you say, well, why is it so hard? I often say, God, why aren't you more available Why can't I put in a little bit of time and you put in a load of time for me? Why can't I just open my Bible and heaven opens and and, and hordes of angels just fill the room and hallelujah chorus and and like the power of the Spirit downloads me. You open your Bible and "Ah." you and you think, well, maybe in the future I'll press through to that place. Maybe in the future I'll press through to that place of intimacy with God. And I think it's a lifelong journey but you think, ah, I'll do it tomorrow. If you're self-centered... Take up your cross. Phil Moore in his brilliant book says this. Don't try spot a sluggard by looking to someone who's not doing anything. Because the sluggard's telltale cry is always, I'm too busy. The sluggard isn't sitting doing nothing. They're busy. The sluggard is so worn out <laughs> With the hard work of procrastination, it takes hard work to find loads of different reasons why you're not going to do what you should do. The sluggard is so worn out with the hard work of procrastination that he has little energy to do the tasks that turn his if-onlys into reality. It's not that sluggard's doing nothing, they're just doing nothing that matters, they're doing all the things that, 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 that seem important at the time, that feel like I'm incredibly busy, but the things that really matter, they're not doing anything about it. He's so exhausted by worrying, I love this phrase from Phil, about the fruitless, his fruitless list of activities. There's that empty vineyard. That he genuinely feels he deserves a little more time to indulge himself and rest. If you're not feeling, oh, Phil, <laughs> you know, please come and step up and lead some stuff in this church because I think that is me a bit. I can say we should really be doing something with the poor, but I probably can find a lots of reasons why we're not, but actually, you know, a little bit busy. One, uh, somebody said to me in the coffee break, and I'm ashamed really, somebody said to me in the coffee break, oh, you've probably had a nice rest if you've had... Two, two, three weeks off, you probably had time to really recharge in God. And I said to them, yeah, I have read a little bit of that and that, I said, but I've probably spent a bit too much time on social media. If you haven't noticed, I've tweeted quite a lot. <laughs> and I think it's amazing, isn't it? You think, oh, I'm going to have this window. Okay, I've been in pain and not sleeping, but whatever. But I'm going to have this window and I'm going I'm to finally read that book that I know I'm going to read or I'm going to finally take that time, I'm going to whatever. And its It's gone. But the thing is, you actually, the, the, the reality is, it's not that you think, well, you know, I, I, I didn't get to it. They actually think, I'm exhausted. I need a little bit more time. The, the sluggard loves me time. There's no such concept in the Bible as me time. So anybody who says, I need me time, you say, you slacker. There's no concept of me time in the Bible. It's selfishness time. The sluggard says, oh, I need a little me time. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest. Oh, yes, that book set. that I've... Yeah, and, and you think, man, I just need some me time. You know, because that horrible church is after my time. It wants me on Sunday, and it'd me on a Wednesday. And once a month, it wants me to come pray. How dare they load up that? I just need some me time. Yeah, you're laughing because it's you, you know, it's you, don't you? What is wrong with, Howard, another leader's meeting? Oh, I just need some me time. And then I hear you all talking. Man, I've worked through the... I mean, I'm in there now. I've joined the box set... Ex- box, I say that carefully. Box set. The, I've joined them. I've now watched. Can you believe it? I have watched 25 hours of Vikings. It's oh, a little me time. A little me time, a little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of rest, a little Ragnar Lathbrook. Yeah, of course, come on, I'm a busy church leader. (coughs) This is how Solomon says, come on, this is what your me time really looks like. He says, as a door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard turns on its bed. He says, actually, guys, you are hinged hinged to your comfort. You're hinged to your me time. You're hinged to your resting. You're hinged to your useless, fruitless, meaningless things. P.J. Smythe says this. P.J. Smythe's a guy that kind of leads a network of churches that we're part of. He says this. He says, oh, actually, he quotes Gandalf. Do you know the Bilbo Baggins? free one at the top there. Bilbo Baggins is like, oh, I'm living in Hobbiton. Life's rich. Your life's night. Nice. Uh, and he says, come on, we need to go on an adventure. And he said, no, I just need to sit here for a little while. And Gandalf goes, you have been sitting here for too long. P.J. Smythe takes that idea. And says, if you sit for too long, your life will shrivel. And somewhere between the age of 35 and 45, hands up if you're in that bracket. Ooh, not many of you. So those of you younger think, hey, I've got loads of time, loads of time to be the man and woman of God I want to be. And those of you who are over th- 45 think, oh, it's done. It's a Somewhere between the age of 45 and, uh, 35 and 45, in a flash, you'll be going from that great young guy, that great young girl with great potential to the middle-aged guy who's never done a thing. Ten years. That quick. I look at my life and think, I used to be potential ones. You know, you'd say they like to mock each other in Parliament, don't they? You were the future ones. That's what Cameron said when he resigned. I was the future once. So quick. You know, it's no joke that, that Shakespeare describes the seven ages of man. We were talking about this at a leadership training thing we are doing on Tuesday. And, and, and basically, when you're a baby, you think, well, of course I'm going to get looked after. And when you're a kind of primary school kid, well, yeah, I've got to- loads of time for fun. And then you're a teenager and you think, well, it's great, let's love it. And then you're a student and you think, man, you know, my life's so busy. Man, you, do, you don't know how busy it is. I have got five lectures a week. I am overwhelmed with busyness. You know, and I've got one essay that's due in a month's time. Their stress is unbelievable. <laughs> and that's what I was like. In fact, I'd get my essays in late, miss lectures, because, man, I need some me time. But you know, you are like that as a student, aren't you? And then what happens is, you, you, you get married and you think, suddenly I've got to share my time with somebody else. But you do it. And then a baby comes along and you think, man, how am I going to cope with this baby? And you all say, oh, the sleepless nights is terrible. To-. But you get a baby and you cope with it. And then this person says, you get a second baby, and you cope with that. And you do stuff, and then you're leading church, and you're doing all those things. And you reflect back at what you were like when you were 20, and you think, I had no clue how much time I had. This uh, lady, she's a leader in the church. She's a very great, great leader. I sound like Donald Trump, then? not I? Great leader, great leader. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, she's a great leader. <laughs> um, You know, she said, oh man, the things I could have done. But I thought, I'm too busy. I'll get round to it. Now, I'm on the other side now. My kids are going home and I'm getting more space. But you know what you can do? You can say, well, I've done. I've done my bit. Small groups need leading, but yeah, I've done my bit. Stuff needs doing for the gospel. Well, I've done my bit. Solomon says, go into your garden and dig up the ant's nest says, look at the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it works hard in the summer and gathers its food at harvest. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest and poverty will come upon you like an armed robber. What he's saying is, look at the ants. They are not cognitively aware. They're not called into God's big purpose, but yet they're busily doing things and we are called into God's big purpose and we're not. There's a great quote in, uh, uh, in, Corinthians, in Corinthians. Paul is talking about a young guy called Titus who's probably 20s. And he's commending him. He says, I thank God who put into the heart of Titus this is a young guy in, just a, in the church. Young woman, as it could be in the church. The same concern I have for the heart of you. It's not saying, oh, well, you're the pastor, or you're the elders, or you're the leaders, you you can have concern, and I'll just be a passenger, and I'll just be receiving, you know, because I'm real tired, I'm busy, you know how busy I am. He's saying, no, here's a young guy, he says, I thank God that he's put in the heart of Titus, a young dude, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. Say that. Say, much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. Say it. Much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. Wouldn't the church, wouldn't the world be a different place with a little much enthusiasm and my own initiative? And you know, later on in the chapter it says, and as for Titus, he is now my partner. He's gone from a consumer, he's gone from just sitting and waiting for it to come to him and say, would you give me a job, or would you give me something to do in the church? He said, no, on my, on my enthusiasm, on my initiative, I'm going to get it done. He grows up. So the next, the next thing, if the sluggard says, I'm too busy, the other thing, the sluggard says, it can't be done. can't be done. So if the sluggard says I'm too busy, the other thing is it can't be done. I remember in Manchester, it's long enough ago now so nobody will know what I'm talking about, but we had one of the leaders in Manchester and when we said let's do this, or let's do this, or let's do this initiative, or let's do this, they're, they're, they always would give me a reason why it couldn't work. And they'd sit there very kind of, hmm, wise appearing. I can give you some reasons why this isn't going to work. Why don't you go out onto the street? Why don't we go out onto the street and give leaflets out and talk about Jesus? Well, you know, I can tell you why it's not going to work. Why don't we start that? Mm, I can give you a reason why it's not going to work. Actually, what the the Bible wants is when somebody says, come on, let's go, the answer is, I'm with your heart and soul. Jonathan says to his young armour bearer, he says, come on, let us go to the Philistine camp and let's take it on. Maybe... Just a maybe, God will work on our behalf. And the, the, the young arbor bearer says, Now, let me just work through a few little situations here. We've got a large cliff to climb. We've got one sword. I haven't even got a sword. There's loads of them. You know, your king, your king hasn't done it. There's obviously lots of reasons why we cannot do this. And they sit down, have a committee meeting, write an agenda, get some minutes together, make a decision, make a plan, and then decide wise thing, we're not going to do it that the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven wise men who give a, re- give a reason. I can't do this because it will not work. It cannot be done. Thousands of reasons for inactivity. The sluggard says, the sluggard will not plough by reason of the cold. Therefore, he will beg at harvest and have nothing. When we talk about ploughing and sowing and harvest, we're talking about the gospel. The sluggard will not share the gospel because it's a bit cold. The sluggard won't share the gospel. It's a little inconvenient. It's just not right. You know, I'm looking for that sunlit day when, like I said a few weeks ago, when, when my friend knocks on my door, walks into my kitchen and says, what must I do to be saved? Then I'll be really missional. But in the meantime, it's a little bit too cold. It's a little bit too inconvenient. It's a little bit... And if you sow nothing, you reap nothing. It gets even worse, though, doesn't it? The sluggard says this. The sluggard says, "'I can't go out. "'There's a lion outside.'" and I'll be killed in the public square. I think, I think Solomon has basically got his tongue in his cheek and saying, you know, how ridiculous, what pathetic excuses have you got for not doing anything, for, for sitting and doing nothing, for, for saying, well, it can't be done, it'll never happen. There's a lion outside. If I go outside, I'll be killed in the public square. If I tell my, my workmates that I'm a Christian, whoa, they're going to kill me in the public square, they're going to devour me. If I give my views on some sexual ethic or, some polit- or something in society, whoa, what's gonna, what are people going to think of me? We best just keep quiet. Bill Heibel says this, what if there's a lion in the street? I love him. He says we should join the lion hunt. There is a lion in the street. He says our enemy is a roaring lion. He's out there. He wants to devour you. You think you're going to have an easy time? He's out there. He said, we should join the lion hunt. Only the sluggard would sit around for the rest of his life because there are dangerous obstacles in his way. There'll always be danger in the public square. There'll always be frightening responsibilities. There'll always be overwhelming challenges. There'll always be heartbreaking disappointments. But only the sluggard will embrace excuse, extra excuse, and let them define his life. If you do nothing, if you always say, I can't do it, I'm too old, I'm too tired, I'm too young, I'm too busy. Do nothing. That will define your life. What's going to go in that gap for me between on my gravestone, Howard Kelly, 1960, a little small dash, and then a date? What's going to go in that little dash? You've got to do something. Let's finish with this thought. God isn't calling us to what he's not done. The God of glory has not sat in glorious community for all eternity and just kicked back and enjoyed it. He could. Father, Son and Spirit through all eternity full of love and delight. No. Let's overflow Let's create a world. Let's create men and women in our image. Let's let's put them in there. Let's let's pour our love onto them. But they're going to rebel. And they're going to sin. And they're going to turn away. And and the Holy Spirit comes in with a clipboard and says, I'm going to give you all these reasons why this is a bad idea. No, they didn't do that. They said, let's do it. Let's do it. And even before the world was made, they agreed together. That even though we messed up, even though we'd be slackers and sinners and sluggards, that they were going to be proactive. Jesus Christ, before the world was made, said, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And I leave the comfort and glory and delight of heaven. I'm going to go and I'm going to take on flesh and I'm going to become a man and I'm going to work. And he said about himself, He said, I am always working because my Father is always working. You might read in the Bible when it says, and on the, on the seventh day, God rested. But the, uh, the, the thing about rest is he's rested and he's working. It's not that they're the opposites. It's where you're located. It's where you're located. If you're located in the love and delight of God, you're both at rest and at work. My Father's always working. He's working. He's working to save a world. He's working to transform. He's working even now to speak to you that you'd take some responsibility, that you'd take some initiative, that you'd say, I'm going to be different, I'm going to do it. He's always working. His spirit's always working. He took the point of initiative to the point, and you know why I always finish here. He took the point to where he said, I have done it. Psalm 22, that great psalm, finishes with this phrase. We sometimes translate it, it is finished. But it could be translated, he has done it. He's done it. He's done it. My soul, he says to the disciples, is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it's for this very hour I came. You've come for an hour. I've said this to you before. You have come for an hour. Your life is like an hour. It's here and gone. It's a breath. You've come for an hour. We need to be like Jesus. I speak it to myself. God, we need your help. We need your grace. We need your, your power in us that we would make a difference in this world. And then when you lay down in those old age, you say, like Paul, I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I've run the race. Let's stand and respond. We need in this church, every one of you to take initiative. We need more leaders. We need more people to serve. We need more people to live, to love and to give. We need more people to, to pour out their lives. We need more people to, to share the gospel, to get out in the public space. We need people who are going to put their hands up and saying, "You know, what? I'm going to give myself to caring for the poor." Lord we know that talk is cheap. Say so we want to move from just talking. Move me from just talking. The preaching's the easy bit. Move us into action. Move us into doing and pressing in. Fix those relationships. Share the gospel. Press in with to know you Jesus. Lord I pray we do away with me time. And catch ourselves up in your great story. Do it in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.